for cultivating progress across the South, for working to unconditionally improve the lives of all, and for the bold underwriting of every Gravy podcast, SFA thanks our visionary Louisville, Kentucky friends, Pam and Brooke Smith. And I'm John T. Edge. We're your host for Gravy. 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 A production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, Gravy tells new and complicated stories about the changing American South. In this episode, the late and beloved Old Time Deli in Jackson, Mississippi is our point of departure as we explore the Jewish diaspora in the American South. We begin that journey with Sarah Holtz, producer for this batch of gravy. Sarah's grandmother escaped Nazi Germany to arrive at Ellis Island with a suitcase full of pots and pans. Her story served as the inspiration for this season. So I'm super curious about this cookware. Are there particular pieces that she brought with her? Yeah, you know, and it's interesting. So her her father actually came over first. And he was a baker. And so I, I'm not totally sure like what he ended up bringing with him. Like I imagine he brought um, some of his bakeware um, because he actually continued his career as a baker in New York. But as far as I know, like what we still have in our family, I have in my kitchen a huge stock pot from Germany. And then my grandmother has the dish that she usually uses to make her brisket. So it's the, these huge pieces of cookware that I guess somehow they they were able to put into their suitcases. I guess suitcases were a bit bigger back then. (laughs) Yes, clearly. So in my understanding of diasporas, the Jewish diaspora is in fact the first of the diasporas. And that is a a first that goes, you know, well beyond the 20th century and World War II, but stretches back all the way to, you know, what somebody might say is biblical times. Is that is that your understanding as well? Yeah, my understanding is that the word diaspora is, of course, a Greek word, and it was originally used for, you know, the dispersion of Greeks in the ancient Hellenic world, but then um, it gets assigned to the dispersion of the Jewish people to different continents after uh, the fall of Jerusalem, which I guess was in the early 6th century um, BCE. So yeah, it's it's pretty ancient. (laughs) Well, um, thank you, Sarah. We're excited at SFA that you were interested enough in diasporas to um, dig into this batch. Yeah, well, thank you so much. It's really an honor to be able to tell these stories. Michelle Feldman Shipper grew up in her family's restaurant. The running joke in the Feldman family was that everyone's birthday was on a Monday, because that was their day off. Michelle's parents ran the old-time delicatessen in Jackson, Mississippi. Back when the deli opened in 1961, it was the only place you could get kosher meat in the entire state. Though the deli has been closed for 20 years, Michelle can still describe the restaurant's interior, down to each jar of candy. So the register was on the front counter, and the counter was covered with all kinds of different candies. And that was on one side of the register, and on the other side of the register was the bakery counter. 
where, you know, if a child was with their parents, my dad became known as the cookie man. He would just like take out a cookie and hand it to the kid. And so it was really when you first walked in and just getting that greeting, hello, how are you? That's, that's how it began. But there is something really lovely about walking into a deli. I feel the same way. Growing up Jewish in California with roots in New York, each visit to our nearby deli felt like a pilgrimage. Saul's Delicatessen in Berkeley was the first restaurant my parents took me to when I was a toddler. As a young kid, I had a feeling there was something special about this restaurant. It was in the way my dad's eyes would light up when he ordered a chocolate egg cream, or how high the pastrami was piled on top of seeded rye bread. Pilgrimage feels like an appropriate word when we talk about the Jewish diaspora. Jewish delis have a diaspora of their own. Delicatessens originated in 18th century Germany, and today they're synonymous with historically Jewish enclaves in cities like New York and Los Angeles. Violent pogroms and rampant anti-Semitism in Eastern Europe forced Jewish communities to emigrate to America. Oral histories and written accounts from Holocaust survivors have detailed the few Jewish groceries and delicatessens that existed in pre-war Eastern Europe. The pogroms destroyed their shtetls or villages, along with their delicatessens. But the deli tradition lived on wherever Jews settled. They vary from place to place, but you know a Jewish deli when you see one. There's the meat counter that's packed to the brim, the jars of pickles, the black and white cookies, the kosher products like Manischewitz wine and Kedem grape juice, and of course, a sandwich menu that invariably includes hot pastrami on rye. In 1961, Michelle's parents, Irv and Judy Feldman, brought this tradition to Jackson. The Feldmans had immigrated through Ellis Island. My grandparents name, I believe it was the name of one of their sponsors, into this country. So that's where Feldman came from, and they came from um, the border, Poland, Russia, that sort of thing. Her father's family settled in St. Louis, while her mother's side made their way down to Clarksdale, Mississippi, where they opened a grocery store. In the early 1960s, Judy's family relocated to Jackson. Judy met Irv in St. Louis, and the couple settled down in Jackson to rejoin her family and open the deli. The oldest and largest Jewish enclaves took root in bigger southern cities, like Miami, Savannah, and New Orleans. A Sephardic Jew from the Iberian Peninsula named Isaac Rodriguez Monsanto became the first Jew to settle in Louisiana in 1757, finding wealth as a merchant and human trafficker in the transatlantic slave trade. I spoke with Stuart Rockoff about the early history of Jewish settlers in Mississippi. He's a historian and the executive director of the Mississippi Humanities Council. Jackson's a bit unusual in that it's only ever had one Jewish congregation. Temple Beth Israel was founded before the Civil War. By the 1850s, a Jewish community coalesced in Jackson. That first wave of Jewish merchants arrived from Germany and France, drawn to the trading opportunities in Mississippi's capital city. Jackson's Jewish enclave remained small. More than a century later, when Michelle was growing up, her family's deli still served a Jewish community of 200 or so families. And so, of course, it was not going to be a kosher deli in Jackson, Mississippi. It could not sustain itself. But there were kosher items that were brought in, ordered in from Chicago. And in the early days before every grocery store had items from all over the world, 
the old time deli was the place that you could find really unique food items, as well as items for the holidays. Jewish families from all over the area flocked to the deli for kosher products they couldn't find anywhere else, like matzah and challah breads. As the business expanded, the Feldmans shipped busloads of kosher products, from wine to gefilte fish, out to other synagogues across the state. Still, the old-time deli wasn't kosher. The Feldmans had to cater to Jews and non-Jews to sustain their business. In that way, the old-time deli bridged the gap between Jewish and non-Jewish communities in Jackson. Delis have played that role ever since Jews began to flee Eastern Europe for safer shores. Ted Merwin wrote a book about this history called Pastrami on Rye. He contends that the history of delis in America is the history of Jews eating themselves into becoming American. It's really about American Jewish history and how Jews became American and what was the actual physical space of the delicatessen like and, and how did it function as a neighborhood gathering place for Jews who were very much like my grandparents, for the most part, not as interested in religious observance, but still wanting to feel connected to their roots. Many people associate the deli with New York City, but Ted's research dates the emergence of delis in the South as far back as the 1880s. In 1881, there was a grocery store in New Orleans that was advertising kosher smoked and pickled beef sausages and tongues, as well as goose grease, New York salt pickles, and Passover cakes. And they are trying to reproduce to a certain extent the kinds of places that they enjoyed gathering in and eating in back east. Just like my family made a pilgrimage, albeit a very short pilgrimage, to Saul's Deli in Berkeley, Jewish Mississippians made pilgrimages to the old time for decades. Families who had just settled in Jackson received an orientation of sorts at the Feldman's restaurant. If a new Jew came to town, they were immediately taken to the deli and introduced to not only my parents, but a lot of other folks in the community. It was very much a welcoming place. It was an introduction to the greater community who maybe didn't know too many Jews or what Jewish food might be like. It was a, an ambassador in the greater Jackson area. Back then, you couldn't find deli meats like pastrami at mainstream butcher shops or grocery stores in Mississippi. Pastrami has been a Jewish obsession for as long as delis have existed. In many ways, it's the perfect signifier of American Jewish food. For one thing, it's diasporic. Pastrami is a cured beef brisket that historians trace back to 11th century Turkey. It's cured in a combination of salt, pepper, garlic, and spices, smoked and then steamed. When the Ottoman Empire conquered parts of Eastern Europe, the cured meat proliferated and reached Eastern European Jews. It arrived in America with the first big wave of Ashkenazi Jews in the late 1800s. As Ted describes in his book, the pastrami we enjoy today invokes the environmental conditions, or terroir, of its migration. Jews have inherited the sense memory of pastrami's brine, which recalls the salty seas between Eastern Europe and the United States. Pastrami also represents how deli owners had to assimilate to attract non-Jewish customers, as it's so often served with Swiss cheese, a combination that violates kosher law. Delis have advertised the cured meat as hot pastrami, referring to the temperature at which it's served, not the spice. 
As I delved more into the history of pastrami, I learned that it entered the pop cultural zeitgeist in 1963, when a rock and roll group called the Dartels released a novelty dance track called Hot Pastrami. The Old Town Deli opened in 1961 during an explosive and transformative period in Southern history. In part two, we learn about how delis became contested spaces during the Civil Rights Movement. Baking creates a lifetime of memories, and Lodge is here to help you with that. Drawing on 125 years of experience, Lodge Cast Iron Bakeware works alongside you as you learn, taste, and create memorable moments. From delivering the perfect crispy crust at a family pizza night to baking gooey cinnamon rolls for a Saturday morning tradition, Lodge Bakeware helps make food delicious. Lodge's full bakeware line features nine expertly crafted products with versatility that allows home cooks everywhere to be inventive with their kitchen creations. Each product features a dual handle design for easy lifting in and out of the oven, an easy release finish with a naturally seasoned surface, and reliable durability to ensure they won't dent, bend, or warp over time. This bakeware is cast to last because baking is about making life delicious for generations. Head to lodgecastiron.com to explore the last bakeware you'll ever have to buy. For supporting family baking traditions and this podcast, we thank Lodge. When it opened in 1961, the Old Time Deli was the only Jewish deli in Mississippi. Stuart Rockoff explained it this way. Um, it's simply a matter of demographics, right? There simply weren't enough Jews in many small towns in the South to support a, you know, Jewish-themed grocery or Jewish-themed store. And of course, what Old Time Deli did is it appealed to both Jews and non-Jews. That quality was no small thing in Jackson in the 1960s. The Old Time Deli opened its doors in 1961, the same year Freedom Riders braved racist violence as they protested segregation in buses, restrooms, and lunch counters across the South. The civil rights movement transformed countless restaurants into contested spaces. On May 28, 1963, a group of black and white students and professors from historically black Tougaloo College organized a sit-in protest at the Woolworths lunch counter in downtown Jackson. The protesters remained peaceful, even as white hecklers turned violent, attempting to put nooses around the students' necks and dousing them with condiments. This landmark sit-in occurred just miles from the old-time deli, Meanwhile, the Feldman's restaurant was always integrated. One of the family's oldest customers reminded Michelle about this aspect of the deli years after it closed. The restaurant was open to everyone. And my father recently passed away at the wonderful age of 93. And I I received a lot of uh, wonderful letters and comments. And um, one African-American family sent a very beautiful email and just said, you know, early on, we were one of the few African-American customers, and we'd get a lot of looks from the other customers in the restaurant. But your parents always came over and made us feel welcomed, and it was a pleasure being around them and eating in the deli. So I think that was, for them, again, welcoming to all employees that they hired. And I would say it was mostly African-American. My parents offered a 
a pension plan for them. And so many of them really had a, a lot of money once the store closed in 2000. Some very longtime employees. And um, my dad would get together with them regularly once a year just to say hello <laughs> and reconnect. If you think about the wealth the deli's African-American employees accumulated from that pension, the Feldman's decision to offer it is a huge deal. Still, we can't generalize about the Jewish South based on their deli's inclusive culture. Jewish involvement in the civil rights movement is a complicated history. Many assume that Southern Jews were invariably on the right side of history, since the movement gained momentum barely a decade after the Holocaust ended. Others have guessed that Jewish Southerners stayed away from civil rights protests, out of self-preservation, as the Ku Klux Klan also targeted Jews. Neither is completely correct or incorrect. According to Stuart Rockoff, the majority of Southern Jews sympathized with the civil rights movement, but the fear of anti-Semitism frightened many into silence. During the civil rights movement, Southern Jewish activism was most common among rabbis and progressive women's groups. On the other end of the spectrum, Ted Merwin told me about a Jewish deli owner in Atlanta who sided with white supremacists. Charlie Lebedin refused to serve African-Americans, even Harry Belafonte, who was in town for a benefit concert. Then Lebedin joined the Klan, at which point most of his Jewish customers boycotted the deli. During Freedom Summer, a 1964 campaign to get as many Black Southerners registered to vote as possible, three student activists were murdered near Philadelphia, Mississippi. James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Schwerner. Cheney was a Black Mississippian. Goodman and Schwerner were both white Jews from New York. A huge proportion of those white college students were Jews. And sort of their motivations vary. At that point, 1964, some Jews who were involved in civil rights activism were sort of taking cues from the very, very recent living memory of the Holocaust and, and understanding that, you know, to prevent sort of further atrocities that in the world that they needed to take action. Some of those Jews were, you know, really felt that their Jewish values were calling them to do this work. That was Nora Katz. She leads historical tours for the Institute of Southern Jewish Life in Jackson. In 1967, Mississippi's largest synagogue, Temple Beth Israel, was bombed in retaliation for the activism of the congregation's rabbi, Perry Nussbaum. Months later, his home was bombed too. In Mississippi and beyond, Southern Jewish communities are still actively engaged with civil rights history and today's continuing struggles for racial justice. Margaret Norman documents Jewish involvement in the civil rights movement in Birmingham, Alabama, as part of a public history project for Temple Beth El. She told me that cities like Jackson and Birmingham were not always safe for Jews. During this time, there was sort of a wave of general anti-Semitism around the civil rights era. For example, instances of anti-Semitic tropes being employed in anti-civil rights rhetoric, you know, accusations of communism and that sort of thing. But I think, you know, really the thing to understand about Jews in the mid-20th century South is that whiteness is tenuous. This is all to say that Southern Jewish identity is complicated. Not all Jews are white. Not all Jews are progressive or conservative. During the civil rights movement, how could a deli just be a deli? And if delis are such important sites of memory as places of refuge and resistance, 
what can these restaurants tell us about the contemporary Jewish South? The legacy of Jewish delis lives on in several southern cities. In Atlanta, the General Muir is an upscale eatery that serves chopped liver, matzo ball soup, and of course, hot pastrami on rye. The restaurant's subway-tiled interior evokes a New York deli. One of my favorite spots in New Orleans is Stein's, a Jewish and Italian deli that merges the best of both old worlds. While settling into life in Jackson, Nora Katz created a tabletop game called Lunchrush, which takes place in, you guessed it, a delicatessen. That is sort of a comedic uh, storytelling game in which players are workers at a Jewish deli that is falling apart at the seams, and they take on a variety of different roles, different sort of positions in the deli, whether they're a waiter or sort of a host or a busboy or a butcher or like a counter worker or they're the owner. And they sort of develop these characters and then they are confronted with customers who come in with unreasonable demands and they are confronted with, there's a little bit of like magical realism that is possible in the game. Because I just wanted, I was like, there, there might be like a golem in with the paprika, you know? And it's a celebration of Jewish delis and deli food um, as someone who was raised on that food and by people who very much love that food. And I'm the, let me see, the great granddaughter of a Jewish grocery store owner. The love of Jewish deli food runs deep. Thinking about the old time deli in the 1960s and this modern deli of Nora's imagination, I can't help but draw a through line. The old-time deli has become a source of nostalgia for many Jackson residents. In Nora's game, delis offer escapism and a way to celebrate Jewish identity, whatever form it takes. Part of that is sort of inspired by my now life in the Jewish South, which is that sort of a stereotypical Jewish deli, it might not mean the same thing to every person. And so wanting people to be able to create whatever kind of deli speaks to them and their identity uh, was very important to me. If delis are one of the public spaces where Jews became American, as Ted Merwin hypothesizes, then a Southern deli is where Southern Jewish identities solidified. Maybe that's why Jews and non-Jews still make pilgrimages to their favorite delis, even when many of the menu items have become mainstream. It's not what people eat as much as, you know, where they eat and when they eat and how they eat and with whom they eat. Those are all things that condition the eating experience much more than the food itself. And that condition whatever kind of later feelings of connection and nostalgia that people are going to have towards towards it. Today, Michelle Feldman Shipper is the CEO of the Institute of Southern Jewish Life. So she's carrying the torch of community building that her parents lit in another way. Former old-time customers approach Michelle regularly with memories of the deli, even though it's been closed for 20 years. It really, the sort of communal gathering place, I mean, there was like a a group that would sit and have breakfast and coffee and probably spend two hours just sitting there talking and they had their regular seats. I mean, it's just, it was that kind of place. So it was the food, it was the quality, it was the service, it was the welcome. It was all part and parcel of what the deli was. Nostalgia is a powerful feeling for a people whose diaspora represents thousands of years of survival. If Ted is right, and the places where we eat are just as important as what we eat, then a deli isn't just a restaurant. And hot pastrami on rye isn't just a sandwich. It's a refuge. It's solidarity. It's a way to belong to the diaspora. 
Gravy was produced by Sarah Holtz. Special thanks go to Josh Parshall and Michael Twitty. We thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music and Jazar for our donor music. Managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is Sarah Camp Milam. Mary Beth Lassiter serves as our publisher. Fact-checking thanks go to Natalie Dupree Graduate Fellows, Bethany Fitz, and Catherine Jesse. Visit us at southernfoodways.org to watch our films, read your way through our bibliographies, in other words, get smart, or listen to this podcast and get even smarter. And while you're there, become a member or make a donation. Your dollars fund our work and help us make more gravy. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Edge. Thank you for letting us pour some gravy in your ear.